everybody and welcome to the first episode of the Who's Who of SAU. This is a podcast that introduces faculty and staff from St. Ambrose University in ways listeners may not know, such as a hobby, their personal life, or things they've done in their past. I'm your host, Ryan Sandness. Today I am joined by English faculty Carl Herzig and his wife, reference librarian Stella. Thank you both for being here. Uh, if, if you both want to introduce yourselves and your relation to St. Ambrose University. Hi, Ryan. Thanks so much for having us. Thanks, Ryan. You're welcome. Yeah. We've been, uh, this is our 31st year here at St. Ambrose. We are both from New York and spent the five years before Ambrose. Uh, at, I was teaching at the University of California, Santa Barbara. All right. And um, I was a public librarian, public library librarian at Santa Barbara uh, Public Library um, when we, we were both at Stony Brook University uh, on Long Island and we met there. We were not in a class together in any way, but we just happened to meet there. And then we got married and moved to California and then five years later we were on a job search. Carl found the job here at St. Ambrose. We were glad to get back into uh, the fall and winter seasons, Definitely. oddly enough, from sunny California. But <laughs> yeah. Now, I guess I've, I've had Carl in enough classes to sort of get to know his stories that he tells and stuff that uh, he says. And through talking with him, it, it, I've known that you guys are practicing Hindus, correct? Um, well, or Hindu is not a hin word in the Vedic um, uh, vocabulary. Okay. It's a word the Muslims use to um, say all those people on the other side of the Sindhu River. Okay. Um, but the the official Vedic uh, term for it, which is commonly known as Hindu, um, is Vaishnava. Okay. So, given given uh, that just uh, interaction, what is Hinduism for let's, people? Yeah, let's, for people let's who, take a step back for people who um, may not know. Yeah. Let, let's say, uh, Hinduism is certainly the term that we use. It is an umbrella term that embraces a real range of beliefs. Um, the, the traditional term would be Sanatan Dharma, which means the eternal Dharma or the eternal path or religion. Um, and there are, there are, um, I guess, you know, several, uh, you could compare them to denominations. As Stella said, though, um, yeah, the word Hindu was applied by outside invaders, but it's certainly become common parlance um, when we use it. But in Hinduism, I mean, think about what a religion is in your mind. Um, we have, there are people who are, who are monotheists, people who are polytheists, and people who are atheists. And so it, it's kind of hard to, you know, it would be kind of hard to group um, all those into one belief system. Um, there are also different, yeah, I guess you could say denominations, um, but the majority, about 70% of all Hindus, and I'll, I'll use that word, you know, for people's understanding, are Vaishnavas, the word that, that Stella used. And Vaishnava 
um, is is those who uh, see as the who call the Godhead, who would, who would use as a name for God, uh, Vishnu or Krishna. Most Vaishnavas are monotheists. So I, I, I do think that one of the, the foremost uh, misconceptions about Hinduism would be that Hinduism is a polytheistic religion, when most Hindus are monotheists. Um, it's called, though, differentiated monotheism, okay. which means one God, different faces. And actually for uh, uh, Vaishnava, it is not a sectarian faith in the way that, let's say, um, many in Christianity would say, you know, um, it, you have to, um, that it must, um, that one worships God and his son, Jesus Christ, not any other. In Vaishnavism, there is an understanding that if there is one God, um, then, then everybody if, who is worshiping God is worshiping the same God. But different cultures and different times um, will ascribe different faces, you could say, to that God, give that God different names, um, and worship that God in different ways. Okay. But the, the essence is that, um, there, um, that it is um, in monotheism that there is one God, whatever one's culture, whatever one calls that God. Okay, so we sort of mentioned, like, before we were on here, you mentioned the multi-faith system, and sort of, you see in, in textbooks of, like, world religions or different religions, you see different gods, like there's, there's Vishnu, there's Krishna, there's, like, these animal sort of gods, sort, sort of, take us through what, what the multi-faith or multi God Great, and I do is. think this is where people's understanding of polytheism mostly comes from. Right, right. Um, th there are two different kinds of divisions that even you're referencing mm -hmm. in your question. One is um, the supreme Lord, right? So the the supreme Lord can also be seen in different moods or different aspects or different activities. So in the Bhagavad Gita, which is um, there, it is not the same as the Bible, um, the New or the Old Testament, but is the primary text um, for most Hindus, Vaishnava or otherwise. Um, it, it, we're told that um, the original name or face for God is Krishna, but God also has a creative aspect. And um, there's also an aspect of God that is awe-inspiring. Um, so the same as, um, you know, President Biden is, you know, is president, and he, his name is President Biden um, in the Oval Office. Um, people aren't generally calling him Joe, um, and certainly other than his own children would not call him his dad, yet those are both names for him. So the sort of the, the, the creative aspect and the awe-inspiring aspect of Krishna is Vishnu. Okay. Um, and so certainly Vaishnavism. Then another division is that God has his servants, his ministers. So just as President Biden has a secretary of the uh, secretary of agriculture, a secretary of state, secretary, you know, of the interior, all, all the different secretaries. Likewise, um, in Hinduism, there are the different um, ministers or assistants to gods, and those are demigods, the devas. And that's where you see um, 
there are an infinite number of demigods and there are primary demigods. But so for instance, uh, Ganesh is a very popular demigod in the half, um, the half elephant the half-elephant form. Um, Nursingadev is, is also a popular um, form of God. Um, but mostly those are, they are, um, the demigods are assistants of God. And then you also have, I mentioned Nursingadev, God comes to earth in, in different forms, in different incarnations for different purposes. And sometimes those have um, a, more of a human aspect and other times other kinds of appearances. Okay. So it seems like you're very well versed in in uh, this this religion. So just take us through like how long you've been practicing, sort of the journey that you've you've gone on, both you and Stella. Yeah, it's it's quite a while, and 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 part of it, um, he's been, you know, learning about it for longer than I have. But it's also the the scriptures in this tradition are many. I mean, it's not just one book. Right. that you read over and over. There's one uh, major scripture that's 12 volumes of, you know. Right. So when you, you know, you read a lot, you do, you do learn a lot about it. Mm -hmm. As a librarian, mm -hmm. I'm saying a lot of books mm -hmm. to read. Mm -hmm. So we've been reading them for years. But Carl can tell I've, you In the recent history. years, I've been teaching a course, Introduction to Hinduism. And certainly, I mean, it's, it's well known that the best way to learn about something is to teach it. Um, you have to, and I feel like I've learned a lot in teaching that course. But my first introduction really came when I was quite young, at the age of oh, 12 or 13. I grew up in a family that didn't have religion at all in the house. In fact, it was a, an anti-religious household. Um, my parents were quite political and felt that religion was um, the opiate of the people, to use um, a, a known expression. Interesting. And so, um, although they each had their own, to different degrees, backgrounds, um, in our house we did not practice any religion. When I was um, maybe uh, 10 or 11, my brother, I had an older brother, nine years older than me, who left home. And on his journey, he sort of followed the classic hippie migration from the East Coast. He lived on a commune for a while in the woods and ended up in San Francisco, which was like the capital mm -hmm. of the counterculture right. in, the late, in the late 60s um, and, and during the Summer of Love. And he met his teacher. He met the person who would become his spiritual, um, his spiritual advisor, um, his spiritual teacher, um, and his spiritual master, his guru. He wrote to me from San Francisco, and I immediately was interested to find out more. So this would have been 1969, I would say, 68, 69. Um, and when I heard from him that he was taking this interest, I immediately went to a store and got a copy of the Bhagavad Gita. I climbed up into a apple tree that summer and read the Gita for the first time, maybe 13 years old. And by, from that point on, um, that was the only faith tradition that I really had any, um, that I could relate to. I, I wouldn't say I was practicing so much, but I went to temple a few times. This was the book that I turned to. And through the years, um, it's as close as I got to 
what one might call to my faith. Okay. Um, I certainly was not active, like many people. You know, I, I lived my life even having, you know, some beliefs that didn't mean necessarily I lived by them as well as I might have. Right. But after I met Stella, we moved, um, when we moved to California and, and started having children in 1986, we, we moved there in 85, and our first child was born in 80, 87. 87. Um, she sort of brought me back, and maybe I can, uh, you know, how did, what, what interested you at that time? Yeah, so I was raised uh, Lutheran, um, progressive Lutheran in the ELCA, and I consider myself pretty devout and believing in a monotheistic God, and I read the Bible, and um, even in college, I, I never rejected it. I didn't really, like, practice that much, but I still read and um, prayed in my own self. Um, um, but when we got married and started having children, I, I thought it was important. My, my mother and father raised me Lutheran, but always said, um, you can choose any, but you have to be founded in one. You have to have a foundation in one in order to compare anything else with that. That if you had nothing, how do you compare? So I thought that was a really great thing. And um, so when... Um, we had a child that I, I just started church shopping in California, and um, and I wasn't very satisfied with what we were finding in terms of being young parents, and right. you know it seemed very conservative and um, not very active, uh, and so that's when Carl said, "Oh, there is something that you might like." We were actually we we're in a health food store one day and I saw a little poster um, on the bulletin board announcing a program that was going to take place that was going to take place that that weekend and we went to that and um, with our one-year-old daughter and Stella was immediately interested for me it was like returning you know back to my roots in many ways and our daughter just loved it and so we really never looked back. In fact, the Gita opened the Bible uh, to me in ways that I thought were amazing. Um, I understood so much more. Um, I also felt like I was coming home in a certain way, but I didn't have to give up anything for it. So it's not like Stella um, like left her Christian or right. Lutheran faith or background, um, but she added on to it. And I should say, like, looking back in my own childhood, although we didn't practice anything at home, we certainly celebrated, you know, the, like many people, the Christian holidays of, of, yeah. of Christmas and Easter. Mm -hmm. um, and I had been to church many times, um, especially on those holidays. And they kind of mentioned in, like, theology classes that we've taken for, like, gen ed credits they talk about conversions and stuff like that with a lot of uh, christian saints and that I, I guess what did that look like there was there really was nothing or not necessarily nothing but there wasn't like the typical conversion you know use like having people uh convert you to a certain religion it was just adding adding on yes to. the the beautiful thing about uh vaishnav is you just added on in fact, to the point that we are both um, members of St. Paul Lutheran Church, a couple of blocks away from St. Ambrose, 
and go to church every Sunday, or at least before the pandemic. And um, you could find us in the front, front pew, pew every single Sunday morning. You know, yeah. wiping away a tear at a beautiful sermon. Yeah. There's and our there's children no were confirmed there. Yeah, they were baptized, baptized and there. confirmed there. Yeah. They all were also raised with the Gita and all those, um, you know, the philosophical and religious uh, tradition of yeah. Vaishnav. And there's no conflict because it's a God of love. And, you know, according to time, place, and circumstance, he speaks to his children, and everyone is his child (laughs) in different ways according to their propensity and according to their ability, um, according to a certain culture. Um, I love the culture, the Indian culture, but I also love my own culture, but I didn't feel like I had to give up my culture to add Krishna. Okay. So I guess the sort of way that people probably look at when you say, like, we're, we're well-versed in Hinduism, you look at it from sort of a Christian perspective where, you know, Christianity is the religion that you, you practice. And then sort of what I'm gathering here is that you, you add on. It's very supplemental, like with other religions. There is no suggestion that if you um, chant God's name using other names that anything bad would happen to you. You are still praying to God. Um, and I, I'd say one also significant difference, there are many overlaps between the faiths. Right. Um, and, you know, we go to church here because we love the church here, but also if there were, there is no Vaishnava temple, you know, within uh, the closest one is about 200 miles from here. So that was a, another reason yet, you know, why we want to find some place and community of worship where we are, um, although we also visit temples in other places. One significant difference, there are many overlaps, is that there is no eternal hell in Hinduism. Um, there is an, uh, a lower planets, like an underworld, uh, a hellish place, but it is a place, a place of cleansing, a place um, to cleanse oneself of one's past misdeeds and then one returns and keeps going into um through reincarnation um we are all in this sort of like upward um you know upward spiritual evolution yeah spiritual evolution series um where we continually take rebirths until we have totally um become our our everything about us our minds our entire consciousness are 100% absolutely one with God. Surrendered to God. Surrender, not to, not become, to become one become with God him. like God, but to be thinking, have no other desire but to be with God, to have no other thought except of God. Okay. Um, and we come into, but we've been living in these bodies our whole lives. Right. So we're naturally like very attached to them. And we have so many desires and we have senses. So um, one, the practice of Vaishnavism is the practice of channeling all our activities and what we do anyway, our eating, our singing, our, you know, every, our, our learning. <laughs> Um, in a in a spiritual in a spiritual devotional way, okay. the goal is bhakti. Bhakti is devotional love, and essentially that's that's really the faith that we're in. Um, we're we're in the faith of bhakti, and we're into promoting bhakti, which is loving God, 
but it's loving God in an active way. When, you know, we can say, oh, I love you, and that, but if one never does anything with that love, it's, it's sort of mere sentiment, right. right? I love you, but I'm not going to do anything for you. I will um, not make you a cup of tea. <laughs> <laughs> so this is an, you know, an act of faith where um, everything becomes, you know, how can we make our activities devotional activities, engage in that? And by engaging in them regularly, we also um, are purifying ourselves, as part of that practice. Okay, so I guess this next question that I have here, it just, it was kind of thrown off for me when you, you guys said that you you go to St. Paul Lutheran Church and you've, you've grown up there really, and there's also this side. So I guess sort of, I guess in both sides of, of both religions, like what what are daily practices or what, what things do you do as a practicing, uh, Vaishnav. Vaishnav. Reading. Yes, reading. Reading scripture, okay. both the Bible and the Gita and, and the Srimad Bhagavatam. Um, Singing and chanting God's names. Okay. The, there's off- beads. We have beads just like in the Catholic mm-hmm. faith, uh, 108 beads. And each bead we chant a mantra of God's names um, with the trying to intentionally think of of the Lord and the, his pastimes and how, you know, longing to love him kind of thing in that mood. Um, so you chant his names in that mood. That's a daily practice. Mm-hmm. Offering food. So um, they, they say you are what you eat, mm-hmm. right? So that means like both the foods that you eat. So there are, um, we are vegetarian um, and it's a whole, I mean, we could spend, you know, weeks right. getting into the, right. the the details of it. But everything, um, food, the uh, food in the Ayurvedic system, in the Vedic system, is divided into different modes. Modes of goodness, passion, and ignorance. And the only foods that are offerable are the foods that are in the mode of goodness. Foods in the mode of Ignorance would be, for instance, meat and fish. So there is the effect on the body. So as we want to be be ourselves more in the mode of goodness, we should eat those foods that promote the mode of goodness. Our food also has an effect on our consciousness. So we are also looking for activities and foods that promote a consciousness in the mode of goodness. so their purpose, both so we can offer food, so that every, when one offers the food to God, one is cooking for God, offering to God, and then what takes is what God leaves, leaves for us. Um, so that, that is a, a big part of it as well. Okay. And you've mentioned in, in class before um, that you've taken trips to, to India to sort of like the home of, of this pilgrimage, a pilgrimage. Yeah. So just sort of take us through that and just like what, what that involved. Like, I know there's, there was two trips, correct? That you've, you've oh, there's been this many. 10 or 12 <laughs> oh, now. Okay. The first yeah. time right. we went was uh, in 1999. Okay. Um, and we took our three children aged six, nine and 12 for six months. Carl had a sabbatical here from St. Ambrose and I got a leave of absence from the library. And we lived there for six months with our children. 
And we went to temple every day and really practiced the faith there. Um, and we also, you know, traveled around. And I got, we landed there. None of us had ever been out of the country. I, I mentioned that. Um, and we got there, and it's the other side of the world. It's a really quite different in many ways. And I immediately felt at home. I, I felt, and I think we all shared something of that. I, I could only speak for myself. Right. That I felt like, yeah, I'm home. Like, I felt so comfortable there immediately. Um, there are many contradictory aspects of Indian culture. Very. We were um, especially attracted to traditional rural Indian culture, where um, spiritual India is still strong. India in the cities, I mean, you see religion, you know, Hinduism is prominent in a way that would not even be legal here in America. Um, I mean, like every store practically has like God's names as, you know, as part of that, that's even the store's name, let alone their advertising. I mean, it's all about that. But I would say in in the rural, in the countryside, in small towns, you still have the traditional spiritual culture that um, still uh, um, aspects remaining of the culture that existed 5,000 years ago. And that's where we went. Um, our first place to go was actually the place where Krishna um, first was born, if I could call it that, took appearance as a newborn baby um, on earth and then grew up his younger years also on earth. So many of the miracles associated with him and the different activities associated with him took place there. Um, and so that's, that was the first that was the first place we, we stayed. Had 5,000 temples no. in a small town. And it's, oh it's like, it's, Krishna is on everyone's mind all the time. Right. When you walk in the street, if you pass by a stranger, they'll say, um, Jai Shri Radhe, Jai Radhe, or Hare Krishna, meaning um, Radhe is the name of the female aspect of Godhead. And that's, she is especially celebrated in this particular town. But like anyone, they, they won't say hello. They'll say, they're essentially saying, praise God, mm-hmm. is, their, is their means of so saying hello. Imagine if on the Ambrose campus we did that, you know, right. praise Mother Mary as we passed each other. It'd be beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and with real, like, from the heart. And that's, that's really where people, people are at in that place. So it was a very powerful experience for us. Um, we went back several times after that and at one point um, partly as a way that we could go more and partly wanting to share our experiences with students that's when I began to teach the Hinduism class at St. Ambrose and we felt we really we wanted to share that experience and then also in the class it was great to have the books but let's get some of the experience and that's when we started bringing student um, service learning trips to this place Vrindavan in India. To work Um, in an orphanage and a, a school for the poor. Okay. School for, for impoverished girls, in an orphanage, um, and in a hospice. And so we just did service while we were there. And also they visited the temples and saw what it was like. And it was a very powerful, life-changing, moving experience for everybody involved. It was Definitely. incredible. And, you know, having grown up, you know, in New York and then having gone to California and perhaps, you know, these very diverse places and then, you know, finding St. Ambrose in a very perhaps homogenous environment, you know, what challenges have there been coming to, you know, a place where Christianity has been, you know, taught for years and 
everything. I didn't find any challenge. I felt wonderful about it. It was a place where you could talk about spiritual topics with students, that you could express a love for God without getting, you know, in trouble. Right. And um, being able to attend Mass, and um, I, I thought it was amazingly great to be here at St. Ambrose. And looking back, I'm not sure we would have been as happy any other school in this, you know, area. I would, I would agree with that. Um, I think it's many people's impression that a Catholic or other kind of religious school limits one's freedoms in some way. I, we, we've found, an, from a teaching perspective anyway, um, the opposite to be true, that you're much more free um, to talk about different things. You're much more free to even include yourself in your own life and your own beliefs um, as part of that experience. Um, so I, I agree with that. And also the, coming to a small school, right. I mean, after a huge university, two huge universities, yes. was wonderful. Um, but I, I would say, I mean, the other aspect, you know, that, that you mentioned, um, yeah, I, I found the lack of diversity extremely challenging. Yeah. Um, in, I mean, in Iowa, at St. Ambrose, I'm um, from the middle of New York City. Right. Um, I was a minority, ethnic minority growing up being white. Um, so I was not most comfortable in a white community at all, hmm. even though I do have yeah. white skin, right. you know, as right. well. And you mentioned how St. Ambrose and being like a Catholic institution, it's allowed you to be, you know, diverse and see diverse perspectives. Do you think that would be different, say, from like a, a Lutheran university? Because I've, I've grown up like a, a, a Protestant in a Lutheran church, and it's it's... It's been very much, they have their, their problems with different sects of, of Christianity. Do you think that would be different? I think it really depends. It depends on the church. It depends on the school. Um, and is it the Missouri Synod? Is it ELCA? Yeah, the Lutheran, I mean, that's, right. that's a big, a big difference. difference. Okay. I mean, for the fundamentalists, uh, we would have a problem and they would have a yeah. problem with us. But we but have the right. Catholic intellectual tradition is so rich. And I think a progressive Lutheran is all about the questions. Right. And if you, you know, and more than the answers. Right. And we in St. Paul are just very fortunate to have one of the greatest living Lutheran or Christian theologians in yes. the world um, as the head pastor. Peter W. Marty okay. is the pastor at St. Paul Lutheran. His father, Martin Marty, was the foremost, one of the foremost theologians of America. Uh, much less Lutheran. Many would say the, the foremost. In, in, and uh, in. his son Peter is amazing. He's the editor of Christian Century magazine. Um, and we've been lucky to have him for over 15 years at St. Paul mm. Lutheran. And I'd say likewise here at St. Ambrose, um, campus ministry in particular has oh, been so an amazing. incredibly progressive, forward-thinking, diverse, open Full entity of grace. on this university. Full and of grace. Father Chuck. When we got Father here, it, it was politically the most active area on campus in right. terms of uh, social social justice and activism. That was coming out of um, out of the ministry more than anywhere else on campus. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, we. But live, not we, every Catholic school is right. like this, yeah. and not yeah. every Lutheran yeah. school is like Augie. Right. Um, you know, it 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 yeah. really it really varies. We we um, 
when our kids were getting ready to go to school, we were looking at some of the other schools um, that are affiliated in our cons various consortiums around the country. And we saw some of them that were like locked tight. Mm -hmm. And either you believe the way we believe or you don't belong here. Mm -hmm. No question. Which is not that. a life of grace. And I, I feel that the Lord had arranged for us to be in this place in which grace actually was occurring. You know, op the, open to grace. Okay. And you've mentioned, you know, such a positive experience coming here, you know, believing what you believe. Like, what, like, what moments of enlightenment stick out, you know, you know, coming from, you know, California and then traveling 2,000 miles across the country, like what moments of enlightenment with this religion, you know, can you recall necessarily? On campus, you mean? Or just, just living in Iowa, living in Davenport, whether that's, you know, on campus, in life, just... Well, I, I, I mean, it's interesting, and I don't, I don't know that, I, I don't know if Stella feels likewise. I don't, um... I don't know that I experience life so much as mom like amazing moments of realization, so much as many small moments right. that that build. Okay. Um, and so, but you know, I, I think to answer your question, in part, the opportunities to like be able to teach that class in a Catholic school. Mm -hmm is really unusual. I don't think there are too many classes um, in Catholic schools around the country that have a Bhagavad Gita class, which is basically what the Hinduism class is, or even a Hinduism class that is taught by a practitioner. Yes. I think that's very unusual. We have at St. At, um, Paul given, I mean, I gave a two-week um, continuing ed kind of program. Um, we gave a, another one-week or two-week program on, on our experiences um, in India. We had another program where we met with our daughter talking about what a multi-faith multi, um, household is like. Which Not is when kind of they're funny two different faiths, but the whole family living both faiths. Yeah, that, even just the, the words two different faiths sounds weird to me because it's one faith. It's one faith, right. but we practice different tradition markers or practice, you know, activities. But it's one faith just expressed in these different cultures. And then having St. Ambrose students, I mean, engage in that experience, which was very, very challenging, uh, emotionally, mentally, even physically to some extent, the things they saw, the things they participated in, um, real some uh, of the best discussions wow. yeah very but every I mean there were tears at the end of every day and we really had to talk through that but the, you know many students like what they never even been on an airplane they'd never met anyone who wasn't or Christian. seen right. the poverty that you know, you know. Um, one of the uh, nurses from our nursing program here was on the hospice uh, team with the Indian you know the hospice service right and they were witnessing in real life what stage four breast cancer looked like actually physically looked like which never is uh, almost never allowed to get that far not, here and in not America. in the hospital visiting people in their homes in their who home. have no medical care whatsoever in a tiny yeah. village and there's dirt floors mm -hmm. and they're seeing 
stages of cancer they had only seen pictures of in their textbooks. Right. And that was a powerful experience where they would come home weeping, you know, but all the more determined to pursue their nursing career, right. which we thought was beautiful, you know. No, and, you know, there's, of course, more than one side, right. you know, to everything, and right. it hasn't all been so encouraging. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't, I can't remember any, like, super... I can't remember any, you know, like aggressive, negative, yeah. or you know, like that. But um, we've been we've been quite active in the community. We've also given programs both on the Bhagavad Gita, on Hinduism, and on India in local libraries, in local schools, and local churches. Um, so we've been quite active. Um, but when there is a, a multi-faith dialogue happening in the community. Chances are that multi-faith will mean Christian, Jewish, and Muslim, period. Right. No Hindu whatsoever. Maybe a Buddhist, but they hardly, usually hardly leave out that. the Hindu. <laughs> so we've had to sometimes be more aggressive in uh, asking to be, um, not necessarily us, but that the Hindu community, which is, you know, large and growing in, in the Quad Cities, especially um, due to John Deere and the Arsenal and, and also the medical, the healthcare profession in this area expanding. And many Indian engineers and doctors and other people are, co- are coming into the area. Um, you see it even more in Bettendorf and Moline right. than you do in Devonport proper. But their perspective is very rarely, if ever, included in, um, you know, the, the face of the book, as, as they're right. called. And I think... It, Frankly, it's it's um, discrimination and bigotry, um, the same as you know, not including any other skin color or right. religion. Um, right. Also, I, I think there has been um, because we are practicing but don't look like one is supposed to look. Mm-hmm. Perhaps that has also affected um, people. And so, um, in one situation where somebody wanted to put together a program. Um, to introduce people in Hinduism, they didn't want me because I have white skin. They wanted an Indian person to do that. And I think right. that's legitimate in some ways. Mm-hmm. Um, I have never once been included in the St. Ambrose, neither of us have ever been included in all the um, St. Ambrose other, other than our service learning trips, trips to India, bringing students from India, Indian students in Iowa. The administration has never once contacted us um, to be involved with that. I think it's uh, it's fine, but it's odd. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And you, you talked about how there was, you know, Christian, Jewish, and Muslim, just as the three predominant multi-faith things that you've seen, and sort of bringing a, a, a Hindu, uh, you know, perspective on yeah, this. third largest religion in the world. Right. <laughs> sort of, how do... I, You've you've talked about how it relates, how you know they intersect with each other. But like, what are some some beliefs that are there? Like, say you talked about the afterlife and stuff like that. But what are certain other views, like marriage or something like that, that's prevalent in the Christian church or stuff like that? I don't. I'm not sure where I'd even go for differences. There are cultural differences. Um, but they're more about the culture, not the religion. You know, so for instance, uh, you know, arranged marriage is, is still 
uh, compared to America, certainly right. quite common in India, and has been part of that culture. It, it's hard to distinguish India from Hinduism because it's India is so overwhelmingly Hindu. There are um, there certainly there is Islam in India, but very little since 1947 partition. It, it, it's you know really comparatively um, quite little. So you can't you know like so it's hard to separate. Indian cultural things as being Hindu or as being Indian. Um, but, you know, I guess the biggest difference there, as I say, in, in America, um, people fall in love first and then get married. Mm -hmm. um, in that system, people get married and then they fall in love. And it's an interesting dynamic. Um, I think many Americans look down on it and see it as something that's imposed on the woman especially against her will and she'd be unhappy and she'd be subservient to the men. I had a student here, she was actually the daughter of, of a professor who was having an arranged marriage in the middle of a semester one year and she knew she had knew who her husband was and they they'd met and they were shown to be compatible but it was entirely arranged um, and she was able to explain to the other students like how happy she was for it, how she felt like her parents and the other people involved, they knew her, they knew the other person involved, they really thought they were a good match. And indeed, they had a very happy um, life together you know, for the duration of their lives, a very happy marriage. Um, there is some pressure against divorce. There's a lot of pressure against divorce, certainly in India, and many um, women especially are ostracized. Um, divorced single women are often ostracized in many aspects of traditional Indian culture. But the comparison between uh, of divorce, you know, of marriages at last is like overwhelming. I mean, the idea of that only half of American marriages, you know, last right. um, it w is so appalling to people in that culture. It, it's, it's almost unbelievable. And for many people, it's proof that our marriage system just doesn't work. You know, that um, that getting married to the person who your body is the most attracted to isn't necessarily, you know, right. a lifelong, the best lifelong decision. Right. But um, again, you have to tease out what's, you know, a patriarchal culture from yeah. the religious texts, which in um, Hinduism, the religious texts actually have a women have a lot of power and they're it's. It's it's like a real mix of matrial and pa patrial sorts of themes that, for me as a woman, I have found that the you know the Hindu scriptures have a lot of women who are named, who have a lot of activity, who have uh, affected events in positive ways. They're not looked down on. In fact, um, and this is the thing: is it the Indian culture, you know, or but in the scriptures women are given authority yeah. they're the counselors of their husbands they're they're considered if you don't ha if your wife doesn't help you decide then it's usually not a good idea you know there's so many positive images of women in the scriptures and these are that the i love these are the spiritual the religious that's the ideals, spiritual ideals the principles right. this is not in any way to diminish no. or deny the terrible oppression terrible of women oppression. that have that All continues to go on in, in <laughs> to go on in india, india. Yes. um for sure they've gone the patriarchal um, route of big i time. guess um another you know difference is reincarnation i mean yeah. you know very simple that um the the idea is it's it's the distinction between the body and the soul 
that you are your soul. You are a spirit soul. You're not this body. Um, There's nothing left of this body from even 20 years ago, even though you look similar to how you looked 20 years ago. There isn't a cell left in the body that's the same, and yet we identify that as the same person. Um, So the idea is that you are a soul, and that soul um, is eternal. That soul does not die when the body dies. Um, it is a continual spiritual evolution that we don't lose what we've gained in a lifetime, but we keep adding on to it. But certainly that is a difference um, to any Christian denomination that says this, this life is one's life and the only life one gets. Right. All right. Well, this is a prime example of, of coming to college and like having perspectives changed necessarily like for me growing up it was very rural it was very homogenous and everything and then coming to st ambrose you know even though it's a small school you get a very you know diverse perspective and that's something that i've i've definitely seen coming here and you know i definitely have a back or a a foundation in in what i want to believe you know with christianity and everything but i can still you know have my my eyes open to you know where other people are coming from and you know have a positive uh, just perspective and just feelings toward them and not, you know, shunning them away and being negative. That's something that I guess I've, I've learned, you know, especially through, you know, seeing different perspectives, different, you know, people coming from different countries and, and everything. Yeah. And I think this and, is... And Ambrose is great about promoting and encouraging that, yeah. that, that attitude. Yeah. yeah. Most people are trying to do the best they can and they're trying mm. to love God as best they can. And, you know... There's nothing wrong with that. <laughs> right, right. Well, thank you, Carl and Stella, thank for you, uh, doing this for the first episode. I'd like to thank David Baker of KALA for allowing this to happen. Um, thank you for listening to the very first episode of the Who's Who of SAU. Mm-hmm.